do you ever feel like the entire world is conspiring against you? Just me? You know, you know, you wake up and you go to take a shower only to realize that a roommate or another family member took all the hot water. You've been craving subconsciously that waffle all night long. You get into the freezer, the waffle box is there, but there are no waffles in there. By the way, if you're the kind of person who takes the last waffle and uh, leaves the box in the freezer, shame on you. I think we should just stop the service and have a time for you to confess and repent. But then it's okay. You're going to get something when you go into work because you work at one of those companies that gives you three meals a day plus every snack that you want. Um, We have something very similar here at Epic if you ever come to work here. Not at all. Not at all. We have coffee. And I'm grateful, guys. I'm really grateful. But then you get on the train to go to work, and the train begins to malfunction, and as the train malfunctions, it would be great if it malfunctioned at a stop so you could get out and at least walk a little further or catch a ride. But you're between stops. Anybody know what that's like if you're a transit rider like myself? It's like I can navigate a lot of things except for the malfunctioning happening between stops because you are just stuck to grin and bear it. Okay, I don't grin, but I do bear it. And, uh, and then you finally get into the office, but remember, everything's conspiring against you. So when you get to the office, you're ready to do your work, only to recognize that your team member did not do the only thing you asked them to do before today. Do you know what those days are like? And we get the sense in those moments that everyone is out to get us. Now, I don't know if that's your MO for life. I can remember just thinking back when I was growing up. I remember my parents. I don't, maybe I, I had probably a lot of issues, but I remember them saying to me, Ben, everyone is not out to get you. And I want to tell you today, everyone is not out to get you. But as we conclude this Teach Us to Pray series, I do want to talk to you today about someone who is out to get you. I want to talk to, someone, uh, to you today about someone who's out to get your life, who's out to get your relationships, who's out to get our church, and who's out to get our city and our world because he's been doing it from day one. And I want to tell you that he has plans for our lives. Or as I'm calling the title of this talk, he has schemes. Schemes. Now, to get there and to understand what's going on with the snake on the wall today, for those of you that can see it, that is not our attempt at the next Spider-Man movie logo. Um, That is incredible graphic work uh, by our team who's been creating this content for the series. But I want to do what we've been doing every step along the way in this Teach Us to Pray series. I know some of you have been out all summer, so welcome back. We're sorry when you flew in last night and it was 58 with 20 mile an hour winds, but this is our summer. Welcome. Um, But we've been reciting the Lord's Prayer together, and then we've been teaching out of that uh, prayer, and we've been applying that prayer in our lives, both individually and and collectively as a church. So would you stand with me as we look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13? Uh, Everything we do here, everything I'm going to teach can be found in the notes section on the Epic app. Uh, You may also have the YouVersion app that allows you to look at various scriptures. And I'll tell you at the end of my teaching today why you and I need some plan to engage the scriptures. It's it's not just to be good Christians. It's a whole other reason that I hope you embrace before we're done today. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, uh, I will read the introductory introductory line and then we will just recite this prayer together. So the introduction is... From Jesus, all these words from Jesus. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. I just let the nine o'clock audience take it on their own, and it was chaos. 
I was reminded there, chaos always ensues if there's no one leading the way. And so, uh, but you guys came strong. Thanks for partnering in, in that way. And I want to encourage you as we wrap up the series today, if you've missed any of this or if you've been here for any of it and you just find yourself in the future wanting to up your prayer game or, or just to re-engage in the activity of prayer, know that everything we do here at Epic, all of that content is always stored online. It's on iTunes. Our production team does a great job. We've got people in the back of the house making sure online campus is up and running. Um, we've got people in the production booth in this room, um, and they just do a stellar job of making sure that everything gets captured and, and, uh, and everything gets um, stored away. And so all, all of that is there. But what I want to do today is wrap the series up by focusing on the last two requests that Jesus makes. And the last two requests he makes in this model prayer are these two, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, there are topics that you and I hear about, especially when we come to church, and we're like, I am all in that topic. I love that topic, right? And, and then it's amazing, how, it's amazing how great of a preacher I become when I speak on your passion topic, right? Immediately the emails come, Ben, I love the way you did that. I do it that way every week. We just talked about something that you think is more important than everything else. You're welcome, right? Um, but something you may not be passionate is to think about the idea of temptation from Jesus' model prayer or the idea of having to be delivered from an evil one. Some of you are like, I didn't even know there was an evil one. I know my sibling's a little bit evil, but I did not know that there is some other one the scriptures speak about who is known as the evil one. And that's what I want to talk about today in two parts. The first part of the prayer is this, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Now, on the surface, it sounds like Jesus is telling us to ask God, don't let us fall into temptation. But I want to let you know why that isn't possible in terms of the meaning. Here's why we know this. If you, especially those of you who need things in a logical standpoint, James chapter 1 really deals in a logical way, almost an engineering-friendly way with the issue of sin. It talks about how sin goes from uh, just an idea to a full-blown product, if, to use some of your language. And in James chapter 1, verse 13, James says this. He says, when tempted, no one should say, you, you're really never supposed to say this, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Good news today, you have never been tempted to sin by God. Never. So Jesus can't mean, God, I know you want to lead me down a path towards sin. Don't do that. He can't mean that the Greek word that is translated temptation here in the Lord's Prayer, in other places in the scriptures, the same exact word is translated as testing. And so sometimes you'll see temptation, sometimes you'll see testing, and the translator, if he was trying to do his best job or her best job, they would have looked at the context and thought, which word is more appropriate for this translation? But it's the same Greek word. So God isn't tempting us to sin. Should we then ask him, don't test us? Don't test us, God. I don't think we should ask God not to test us because what the scriptures teach over and over again is that God will test us. He tested Abraham when he asked him to offer his only son Isaac. He tests Daniel when Daniel's life is on the line. God wanted to know, will you still worship the one true God? And he tests us for reasons I'm going to tell you in a moment, but I don't think we should ask God not to test our faith. When Jesus was baptized, uh, found in the end of Matthew chapter 3, Bless you. He comes up out of the water, the heavens open up, and there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. 
amazing moment, and this is incredible, right? I mean, the voice of God conferring this identity and this pleasure on the Son. And the very next verse, chapter 4, verse 1, says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What in the world? Who was leading Jesus? Who was testing Jesus? There are times where simultaneously we are being tempted by the devil and we're being tested by God. And that's what's happening in this moment with Jesus. Then Jesus, led by the Spirit of God, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you need to understand, so that we don't give the attribute to the wrong source, here's the difference between God's testing and Satan's testing. God tests us to build our faith. The devil tests us to destroy our faith. So we're all going through testing in various seasons in different kinds of ways, but we need to be careful that we don't attribute our testing or temptation to the wrong source. In this moment for Jesus and in so many seasons in our lives, there's something that Satan wants to do. It's always to destroy. He's never going to tempt you so that your faith might get stronger. If God ever tests you, he always tests you so that your faith gets stronger, so that it proves itself. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of all kinds, because you know what? That the testing of your faith is going to produce perseverance, and it's going to make you complete. Your faith will never grow unless it's tested. And some of us are like, Ben, it's been tested enough. Give me a season off, right? But that's what's happening. And so Jesus cannot mean don't tempt me, God, because God's never going to tempt us. He must mean something like this. God, don't let me give in to temptation. God, you know I'm prone to weakness in this particular area. God, you know that um, on days like this or in seasons like that or when such and such triggers me, you know I'm prone to step into something that isn't your best for me. Will you keep me from doing that? Will you keep me from going to that place that my flesh wants to go but my spirit knows isn't good for me? That's the request that Jesus is wanting us to utter when we pray, lead us not into temptation. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time on the second request, which is, but deliver us from the evil one. Some of you, again, you're like, I didn't know I needed to be delivered. I'd only seen deliverance on the movies. Deliver us from the evil one. I want to give you kind of a main text that talks to this idea, the kind of the banner text in the scripture for engaging the battle that we're in is found in Ephesians chapter 6. You'll see it on the screen, or you can turn there, open your notes to there, whatever the case may be. I want to read these nine verses, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, but I want to tell you that what I'm going to give you is two things primarily. One is just an awareness, and the second one is a plan. An awareness of what's going on so that some of us are going to be like, oh, that's why. But I also want to give you a plan for how you and I can live the victorious life and be the overcomers that God wants us to be, regardless of what we find ourselves in the midst of today. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, Paul writes to the Ephesians, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, or because that is true, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. The spiritual world is as real, or perhaps I should say even more real than the physical world. And yet, for really obvious reasons, you and I tend to focus 100% of our time and energy and attention on the physical world. In class, you're going to tell me on three why that's true. Why do we focus on the physical world? Because it's the only world we can It's the only world we can see. And what the scriptures are teaching us from really the beginning of scripture to the very end of scripture is you need to be aware that there's something else going on that is actually even more real and certainly longer lasting than the world that we find ourselves able to see and touch and taste and feel. So what is that? It's fascinating to me that when Jesus comes up from his baptism, it, that would be like the climatic part of the, mo- of, of the movie, right? Like the music starts playing, it's crescendoing, whatever that even means, Brad, I don't even know. Is crescendoing a verb? It's sure. Uh, we're going to get away with it. And it's this apex moment, and yet Jesus doesn't go teach something powerful. He doesn't go heal someone who's blind. He doesn't say, all right, baptism's over, now you know who I am, let's throw down a worship service right here. What Jesus does at the very moment that begins his public ministry is he actually goes into the wilderness to engage in 40 days of intense spiritual warfare. Let me tell you two things about me, just so you know where I'm coming from, and I want to provide some clarity. I do not believe that there's a devil or a demon around every corner, one. Number two, I've lived way too long in my life not assuming that he is on the prowl. So just, just where I'm coming from, somebody said to me after the last service, I don't believe that there's a devil. Like, hey, you don't have to believe in a devil for him to come get you. I'm, 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 I'll preach better. <laughs> we should, we'll just have to keep you over here. You just need to move. I know the do- your, your, girls, your girls will be so excited for you just to move in with them. It's always good when the parents show up. <clears throat> it means you guys come to church that Sunday. No, they're, they're here every week. They're here every single week. <laughs> They are, it's true. Jesus engages in this intense spiritual warfare, this battle. And it's common in a setting like this for you to hear me say something like, hey, God has a plan for your life, and I hope you know that. I hope you're leaning into God's plan. I hope you know he has a divine assignment for your life. He has a purpose. I hope you're leaning into that. But what might surprise you is for me to tell you that the devil actually has a plan for your life as well. Or as the NIV translates in Ephesians 6 verse 11, he has schemes. The Greek word that is translated schemes is the word methodeus, which we get not our word methodist from, but our word methods. So let's have a sobering moment just for a second. Yes, God has a plan for my life, my marriage, my family, our church, and our city. But yes, Satan has a plan to destroy your life, your relationships, your friendships, our church, and our city. Now, we don't have to cower in fear, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But if we don't become aware that that reality is of great importance and super significant, we will attribute things in our lives to reasons that are above the surface but never below the surface. And guys, there's things happening in our world, in our city, even in your family, perhaps in our church, that we need to pay attention to. There's a spiritual reality, and we need to unearth that, at least in our faith and belief, even if we can't always discern exactly what it is. 
Now, I realize that many of us are not comfortable with the language of war. And so as we talk about war, as we talk about battle, as we talk about weapons today, you need to know that this is about the spiritual war that we are engaged in, okay? And this is the language of the scriptures. It's not for the sake of violence. It's for the sake of realizing that we have an opponent, but we also have an ally, okay? And we really need to know that. We have an opponent, but we also very much have an ally, The scripture begins in Ephesians 6.10. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's significant. Here's what you need to know. When you fight a spiritual battle by yourself, you will fall. Every one of us. It doesn't, you're like, Ben, I've been a Christian for four decades. Then you should know best. Right? When you and I fight a spiritual battle on our own, we always fall. You do not have enough strength on your own. I do not have enough strength on my own, but thank God I am not on my own. Thank God that I've been invited into another power. Thank God that I've been invited into the presence of the God who says, hey, greater is the one who's in you than he who comes against you. It's in the world. We have to access that truth. And the scriptures say that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is really important. This does not mean that when you do something wrong, you tell the other person, hey, remember, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. But it does mean that you and I have a greater enemy than each other. You have a greater enemy than your spouse when you're in a fight. You have a greater enemy than your parents when you don't like what they're telling you. You have a greater enemy enemy than your boss, even though he may or she may do things that they shouldn't be doing. You have a greater enemy than your neighbor. You have a greater enemy than the person in our church community who offended you. You have a greater enemy, and you and I need to know this. We have a common enemy, and he wants to destroy all of us. And he would love to be the one who destroys me and destroys you and have us blame each other. Right? He would love to take me out in my marriage. He would love to take me out in my leadership. He would love to take you out in whatever the realms of assignment that God has given to you. He would love to take you out. He tried to take Jesus out. Why do you not think he would take you out? He wants to destroy the work of God in my life, in my relationships, in our church, in our city. He wants to remove all of that. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says this, be alert and of sober mind. Again, that alert, you saw it in the Ephesians text. Wise up, take notice, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, if you understand what Peter's saying, it could be that you understand it rightly or wrongly depending on the picture that you have in your mind. Anyone, uh, raise your hand if you've ever seen a lion out in its natural habitat. The zoo is not its natural habitat. Get those hands up only if you're for real. Okay, yeah, same, me me too. That's the lion that Peter has in mind here. Others of you getting ready for the live-action Lion King are thinking of Simba. That's not what Peter's referencing, right? Simba's super cute. I mean, I don't know how the live-action, quote, live-action's gonna go, but a lion looks for an opportunity to pounce. A lion looks for an opportunity to, to take advantage of a moment of weakness, and he doesn't, he, he might do it subtly, but it's going to be this fierce attack, and Peter's going, here's your enemy. You need to know this. He may show up in a lot of different forms, but he's coming for you, and he wants to take you and me down. You guys, there's a list of weapons given to us in this text, 
And remember, this is for the spiritual battle. And I want to walk through the six that are mentioned to us in terms of the armor. It says, put on the full armor of God. Why do you put on the full armor of God? So that you can stand against the schemes of Satan. And you see that word stand over and over again in Ephesians 6. And here's why. Here's why. The idea is standing our ground, which brings this point that I need to tell you. There is no such thing as neutral ground anywhere on earth. There is no neutral ground. In the 11,000 square feet we have here at Epic, it's not neutral ground. Market Street, not neutral ground. The home you live in, the neighborhood you occupy, the city that we're in, there's no space that's neutral, right? There's this kingdom reality, and that's why Paul, to the Ephesians and to us, he's giving us a plan because he wants us to take back the ground and make sure we don't give the ground up. We don't have to give the ground up. It's not just who you are and who you have to be. It's not just, well, they did that, so I guess there's no chance. Listen, we don't have to give ground. And one of the reasons that our prayer is that God would help us see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orienting their life around Jesus is because that's how the kingdom always advances. More ground, more people, more homes, more relationships, more people doing their work according to God's ways, not the ways of the enemy. That's the whole idea of this, so that we could stand. Are you standing or are you giving ground? He says the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. Not that I teach truth, not that, that, that I want to admonish you in the truth, but I am truth. We as Christians, just so you know, we believe that truth is personified in a person, not just in a set of values, not in a set of, uh, of objectives. We, we believe that truth is a person. John chapter 8, Jesus said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. In that same chapter, he said that when the devil lies, he speaks his native language. He says he's the father of lies. So what is he going to do to you and I? He's going to deceive us into thinking that what he's offering us is true when it's the furthest thing from it. You know this. Why do we fall into sin? Because we think it's going to be better for us than following God at that moment. That's what we always do. It's alluring to us. We, it, the same thing happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. The serpent comes to them and says, um, did God really say, I've got something better for you? So we've got to lock into truth. The second thing is the breastplate of righteousness. The idea here is righteous living or orienting every aspect of your life around Jesus, making sure that you don't harbor sin in your heart, in your mind, your body, and in your life. So when there's sin there, that's why 1 John 1, 9 says, um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, making us on the path of righteousness again. Third thing, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel is the good news announcement that in Christ, every one of my sins, past, present, future, can be forgiven. That's good news, isn't it? And it's the gospel of peace, which means whatever's happening with my external conflict, I can experience internal peace. Number four, the shield of faith to extinguish what the devil throws at us. Guys, if someone were to ask you out there in the city somewhere, and are you a person of faith? You might say yes, meaning yes, and I actually go to Epic Church. Well, when I ask you, are you a person of faith? What I want to know is, are you activating that faith in the God who has said, without faith, you cannot please me? 
Faith is believing that God's promises are true, and with that, I'm going to use faith as a shield to extinguish the darts that Satan throws at me, the darts of doubt, the darts of sin, the the temptation to quit. I'm going to use faith and say, no, God's not done with me yet. No, God can be trusted. No, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm going to persevere because God has me. Number four, the helmet of salvation. The idea there is faith in the future hope of our ultimate deliverance, that, that God is going to do what he promised to do. I'm going to dwell forever with him. And no matter what happens to me in this earthly body, I am going to be an eternal being in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. I look forward to that. That's what the helmet of salvation is. And number six, where I want to camp out for a moment, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, those 40 days, we have three of those specific examples that Matthew gives us. And Jesus responded to all three temptations in some form of the same way. Do you know what he did? He said some version of this, it is written, it is written, it is written. You know what he didn't do? He goes, I'm Jesus, you don't have a chance with me. He didn't do that. He didn't try to just wish the devil away. He said to him, it is written, it is written, it is written. Let me ask you a question. 100% of us in this room, like every human that's ever lived, including Jesus, will continuously be tempted. Do you have the ability to say, when you're tempted, I know it's written? Guys, we don't emphasize Bible reading here at Epic because you get brownie points with the staff if you read the Bible. We are not looking for spiritual consumers. The reason that we hold the scriptures up to you and encourage you to get into them on a daily basis is because that's where your life is. That's where your victory is. That, that, that's what you need. Do you have the ability when you're tempted in your area of weakness to go, no, 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 I feel this way. I think that would be awesome, but I, I remember it is written. Can you do that? When anxiety crushes you, do you have the ability to go to Philippians 4, 6, and 7? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace that you long for, you can have it. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When you are doubting whether or not God will provide for you, can you go to Psalm 23, verse 1, and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing? Do you have that ability? When you're tempted to be selfish and make your life all about you, can you go, um, Uh, well, can I go? (laughs) Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you have that ability? For me, this is one for me just this week, when I'm tempted to overreact, when I'm tempted to be angry, Proverbs 15, 18, it said a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one who is patient calms a quarrel. I want to become that person. I've been the other enough. Do you have stuff to go to when you're tempted? The scriptures provide so much help for us. Listen, some of it isn't as clear as we wish it was. Sometimes it seemingly contradicts itself. But find some things that you can lean on when you're tempted to do life on your own. Go to John 15 and go, no, no, no. If I stay dwelling in Jesus, I will bear much fruit. He promised me that. I'm going to bank on it. Can you say it is written? If that's how Jesus fought temptation. If that's how Paul is telling the Ephesian Christians to fight temptation, you guys, this is our path as well. Let me give you two other things that aren't in this text, but are in the scriptures and just through experience. Two other things to fight this temptation and the evil situation. And number one, know that the spirit of God is in you, right? Greater is the one who's in you than he who's in the world. Number two, people do better 
battle, spiritually speaking, when they're in community rather than when they're isolated. If you're living in isolation, I don't care if you're an introvert, I don't care if you have a past that you're ashamed of, I don't care if you get nervous around people, find someone or some ones that you can do life with because you are going to go down further alone than you will ever go down with someone else. It's true. It's true. Now, I love so much about our city. I hope that you do too, but we need to be honest about the reality that evil is also pervasive in our city. Yes, I mean on the streets of the Tenderloin. I also mean in 5,000 square foot homes in Pacific Heights. Yes, I also mean 50-story office buildings where people are doing business in unethical ways or the way that they're treating their coworkers. Evil is pervasive. And guys, I think if I were to list a number of things on the screen today, I'm not going to do that. And I said, do you think they're evil? There are some things that I could put on the screen that 100% of us would go, yep, evil, evil, evil. Kids should never be treated that way. Regimes in that country should never do that to people who are citizens of that country. And we'd go 100% are evil. But there could be some things that we actually are completely wrong in our assumption about whether they're good or evil. Let me say it this way. It is quite possible there are things that we call in our lives that we call good that God calls evil. Dude, don't miss this. You're like, Ben, I don't even know what you're talking about. Right, because you've been deceived, or I've been deceived. There are things in our lives that we call good that God calls evil. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking about not being led astray by false apostles not being deceived. And he says this in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 11. He says, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. That's scary, isn't it? Like just by itself? He's not masquerading as an angel of dark because that's what he is. He's, he's, not, he's not masking up to act like he's a dark force. What is he? he? He's masking up to pretend like he's an angel of light. Which means you and I might be completely deceived while thinking that we're on the right path, while even thinking we're on God's path. Remember those that crucified Jesus thought they were doing God a favor. Hello. Every one of us has been deceived in our lives at some time. And we don't need to live in fear. The scriptures are clear about that. But we really need to give thought to is there an area of my life where I could be deceived? Someone said to me recently, they were telling me what they did believe and didn't believe about God. And I said to them, well, what, like, what's your basis for that? What's your source? And they said something that we're all prone to say if we're honest. They said, well, I just feel it. Listen, I'm a feeler myself. Anybody, like, you don't have to admit it. Like, but, oh my gosh. How many things have we embraced as truth because we felt they were true? Anybody but the pastor? Anybody felt like they didn't just need one donut? Right? Anybody felt like you wanted to do something even though once you read it later on, you're like, wait, the scriptures forbid that. Anybody ever felt like something was in their body true and yet the scriptures actually would speak against that? Guys, if you're led by your feelings, guess what your future is? Every message in the series, we've tried to teach on the principle of prayer, and then we've tried to give you some application. So I'm going to do the application part now. And the application really is found in verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep 
on praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer is not only what we've been learning from Jesus, but Paul is saying in this big spiritual battle, you know what you need to keep doing? Yes, weapon up, pray, all occasions, all kinds of prayers. You're like, this kind, that kind? Yes, and go back and listen to these five weeks. We've given you all kinds of prayers to pray for all of God's people. Why? Because we have a common enemy. And he wants to destroy your life. If God has a big vision for our church's future, guess who has an opposite and equally powerful vision? Maybe not equally powerfully, but has a powerful vision. How many churches have you heard of or been a part of that have been destroyed because they made each other the enemy without recognizing they had a common true enemy? To apply this prayer of deliverance from evil, I want to give us three realms to pray for. Um, We can do that today, but also just in your daily life. The first one, we need to pray and ask God to deliver us from the evil in our world. And that can be the world generally, but last last week we learned about the specifics of prayer. Like, what is one specific thing you know happening? Maybe the country you came from, a country you have a heart for, could be in our own country, just happening in the world. It could be the immigration stuff, the evil parts that go with that. It could be the evilness of uh, another injustice, sex trafficking. It could be income inequality that people are taking from the poor and and pushing them further down. Whatever it is, what evil do you want to make your prayer about that's just evil in the world? Second, ask God to deliver us from the evil around us. The evil around us. This could be in San Francisco. This could be the evil in your neighborhood. This could be the evil in your organization or industry. It could be the evil in your home. Like what, what, what is just, you think, man, God, would you deliver, maybe as a family member, would you, deliver, would you deliver us from this particular kind of evil? I think get specific as you can. And thirdly, this is equally important. Ask God to deliver you from the evil inside you. There's not just evil in our world. There's not just evil around us. Right? There could be evil inside of us, places where we've given ground in our mind, in our heart, right, with our mouths, with our bodies, and ask God that he would come and do something fresh in, in our lives. The entire reason that Jesus asked us to pray to not be led into temptation, but to be delivered from evil is this, it's good news. God has another idea in mind for us. He wants us to live in the goodness of himself. He wants you to find the life that you long for in him. We all, we've all tried it in other places. And he wants us to enjoy this abiding, this communing with God. Maybe today you would say, okay, I'm aware that there's a devil. Uh, I'm aware that he wants to destroy me. And so I want to take Paul's admonition to be strong in the Lord. I'm going to go be strong in the Lord. Here's what you have to know today. You cannot be strong in the Lord if you are not in the Lord. You're still on your own. You cannot be strong in the Lord if you're not in the Lord. The essence of Christianity is really these two great realities, that you and I can be in the Lord and that the Lord, by way of his spirit, can be in us. And when that's true, then we are overcomers. Then we have an eternal life with God. And so what I want to do today is I'm going to just show you a prayer, and I'll state it as well. For those of you in the room today who you know that as of this moment, you've not placed your faith in Jesus for the life that he intends to give you. He has a scheme for your life too. He has methods, and one of his methods is somehow to get a church started in a basement here in San Francisco so that you might show up and hear that there's hope, that you're not left to your own. You're not having to count on your own strength. And here's here's a prayer maybe that you would be ready to pray today. Here it is. Jesus, I want to be found in you. I place my hope in what you won for me through your death and resurrection. Not only did you overcome the evil in this world, 
but you have overcome the evil in me. Today, I believe that some of you, God wants to set you free from habits and addictions. He wants to set you free from fear. He, he wants to set you free from whatever has bound you. And you need to know that with the Lord in you and you in the Lord, you can be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You can be an overcomer. You can taste and see his goodness. You don't have to allow fear and anxiety and addictions to cripple you. You're not in this alone. You have the word of God. You have the spirit of God. You can have life in Christ and you can belong to a church community who wants to help you along the way and be here for you just as you'll learn how to be here for us. So would you just close your eyes as I pray for us? And if you're in this space today and you say today, Ben, I, I want to know what it's like to have life in the Lord, to have life in Jesus, I want to just, again, bring that prayer up to the screen. Just those of you who would say, hey, Ben, that's me. Would you just raise a hand and say, Ben, I want to embrace the life of faith in Christ today. And we'll have that prayer just come back on the screen so that you and I can see that. Jesus, for you, if that's you, I want to be found in you. I place my hope in what you won for me through your cross and resurrection. Not only did you overcome the evil in this world, but Jesus, you, you overcame the evil in me. Jesus, for anyone that's entering into your reality for the first time, I pray that they would experience in this moment great joy through the way of your spirit. God, great power. God, great freedom. The scriptures say that you are able to set us free from all of the things that could never set us free that we were bound to. God, I pray that for all of us, we would pray, do not lead us into temptation. God, deliver us from evil. God, deliver us from the evil that's prevalent in our world. God, deliver us from the evil that's pervasive around us. And God, would you also forgive us of and deliver us from the evil that is inside of each of us. God, we want your life flowing unhindered in us. We want the purity of your spirit. We want your power. We want your strength. So today, God, we want to become the kind of people in church that relies on you and moves forward as we see your kingdom advance in the city of San Francisco and ultimately all around the world. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. One of the things Jesus does is he sets us free um, from sin. He sets us free from fear. And we want to declare that now. He is the one who makes a way. Greater is the one who's in you than the one who's in the world.